Welcome to the second season of the Inclusive Schools Spotlight podcast series brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. This season, we are talking about shifting mindsets. The Inclusive School Spotlight series highlights schools that are using innovative and promising practices to improve learning opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities. I'm your host, Cache Owens, joined by my co-host and colleague, Laura Stellatano. We are excited to introduce you to the Apo School District in Odessa, Delaware. The district enrolls about 13,000 students, about 16% of whom are students with disabilities, and they also have a growing English learner population. I'm joined by the Assistant Superintendent, Dr. TJ Berry, to talk about the district's inclusive college and career pathways. TJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Cache and Laura, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm excited about it. We are so excited as well to learn a bit more about the Apple School District. And um, one thing in uh, specific that we're interested in, we know that the high schools in uh, Apple School District have a unique pathways program. Can you tell us a bit about this program and how it came about? Yeah, sure. So the Pathways program is going into its eighth year of the build, which means we have about, I think, the second group of students graduated from our Pathways last year. So um, it takes a while to build those, right? Because you don't build them and then any senior is just going to graduate. They have to start as freshmen. So we started about eight years ago on this um, on this design of our Pathways and we really just studied a bunch of different areas uh, and brought them together into the unique experience that our pathways provide. And so when I say, what did we study? We studied the admissions process for colleges and universities, specifically selective and highly selective colleges and universities. We studied more than ever uh, the economy and the types of jobs that our students will have access to when they graduate from high school and then when they graduate from college. And we studied the types of skills that are most needed in the workforce today. And we created a workforce development plan. And so um, we pulled all that together into what we call our pathway experience. And it's a rigorous and relevant experience for high school students so that they graduate what we call college and career ready. Yeah, I really love that there's this idea of trying to stay really current and modern um, for the advantage of your students. And I know that um, when you look at this, uh, actually, let me pause here. Laura, once he's done, do you want to just jump right into your question? And uh, I'll just cut this part out because otherwise I think I'm getting ahead and going to the second question. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so you mentioned that there have been two graduating classes so far from the Pathways program. What do you know about how well the program is setting students up for success in college and career? It's a good question, Laura. Here's what we know. One thing we know is that 100% of our students who applied to Penn State University last year got in. I said that to a mom recently, and she said, Okay, but that can't be true of main campus. I think it was like 109 or something kids. And it is true. All of them, but four got on the main campus. All of them, but four got into the major of their choice. And the four that didn't get on main campus or the major of their choice, the university was going to work with them to find a campus and find a major. That's unheard of. Um, and, And there's a reason for that. 
And some of it is the granular details of how we built the pathways and what admissions offices are seeing when an Appaquinemic student's resume and transcript come across their desk. And so I'll give you a little hint there. Most of our kids who go to Penn State go there for a STEM program, science, technology, engineering, or mathematics, something related to that. It could be healthcare. At a selective university and a highly selective university, I could talk more about that too if you want. Um, you need to have pre-calculus or calculus by the time you're a junior because that's when your transcript is going. And the way we build our pathways is every student, doesn't matter, you know, any student can take our STEM pathways. That There's no gatekeeper for that. Any student who enters into one of our STEM pathways, the mathematics experience is designed to get them pre-calculus or calculus by the time they're a junior. And we support all students in their ability to do that. And that gives them a little hint or a little trick on their transcript that breaks a code for places like Penn State. And so that's the kind of thing I say when we studied the admissions process, we looked for certain things that we could bake into the pathways, again, for all kids so that that transcript would be ready to go. A lot of, lot of American high schools don't do that. To this day, they offer math nine, math 10, math 11, math 12. And sometimes you have to take all four of those maths before you could have a special math like pre-calculus and calculus. And not all kids are figuring that out when they're going through their math experience. Same can be true of English, English nine, English 10, English 11, English 12. We just don't do it that way. Um, we do it much different and it ends up in a totally different type of transcript. Those are the kind of things that I'd like to get into more details about with anybody who will listen, quite frankly, because we can we can do this with with all kids across the country um, and they'll be more ready for college and more ready for a career when they come out of our high schools. Wow. Yeah, I love to hear how sort of the intentionality behind the design really tries to set the students up to graduate with a lot of options ahead of them, um, which is, you know, one of the huge uh, pros of pathway programs. And when we talk about these programs, we know that sometimes students might be prevented from entering certain pathway options or from taking those advanced courses if they don't have those right test scores, um, which can, you know, have this effect of segregating students with disabilities or others with diverse learning needs. What do you do differently at APO to make the pathways inclusive while also maintaining those high expectations and setting students up for success? Well, one, we just don't do that. Like, there's no reason to set those gateways. There's a belief behind that, that the kids aren't going to be successful unless, unless what? Unless they were successful on the test we don't do that with our pathways and we don't do it with our honors classes and we don't do it with our AP courses. We just don't do that. So I can give you some examples of where that shakes out, where it works and, and where there's some pain points, but we're just not interested in setting up gatekeepers to any pathway experience or any rigorous experience in our schools. Our counselors know our kids they know what they should do in high school to be successful in college and beyond. And they push them into the rigorous courses and we put supports in place so that kids can take those courses. So for example, we've got a ton of kids in the ninth grade taking AP classes. We've got 51% this year of all students. These are unique AP courses, not 
AP courses like one kid's taken five, I'm talking unique AP courses, 51% of our kids are in advanced placement courses. We've got one of our high school that the only social studies you can take in your freshman year is AP human geography. All of our eighth graders take algebra one. So what does that mean if you're a ninth grader and you didn't do well in algebra one? We're trying to get you into algebra two by the time you're a sophomore. We're doing that because the number one tested skill on the SAT is algebra. In a lot of high schools, you take algebra one in your freshman year, you take geometry in your sophomore year, and you take algebra two in your junior year, but you're not done algebra two by the time you have to take the SAT. That's not good for SAT scores, for self-efficacy. So we've backmapped that, but we do offer a class called geometry with algebraic reasoning for kids who don't do great in algebra one in their eighth grade year. And that still catches them up to be able to take algebra two in their sophomore year. So they have options like pre-calculus in their junior year. But see, that's a very intentional design. And I'm not saying that happens overnight. It took us, I think, seven years to get to that point in terms of our math curriculum, because you got to start as low as fifth and sixth grade to get kids prepared to do that. So again, you can't just wave a magic wand and have it happen. You have to really have some intention behind it. And even then it's messy. Sure, sure. Yes, I'm getting chills remembering uh, my Algebra 2 class that I think I got a D in. So it's bringing back the memories of that experience. But hearing about some of those supports that are in place to to make any student be able to to get through those courses, I think is is so important. Um, And I know one thing we're curious to hear about is if you have any success stories that come to mind of students being able to challenge themselves and thrive in these, um, you know, rigorous courses. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got, I've got, uh, I've got this mom called me not too long ago. And sometimes when you call our office, you can't get through to one of us, uh, superintendent, or we have two assistant superintendents. You can't get through right away. Got to make an appointment. So she made an appointment and, um, she wanted to tell me how it wasn't her student wasn't academically inclined enough to take an AP class in her junior year. She had taken the AP class in the sophomore year and in the freshman year. And it was a junior year. And the mom was worried about this upper level AP class. Um, By the time the appointment came around, the kid had already self-selected into AP, like an AP literature class or an AP language class in the junior year. And the mom was basically telling me a success story on how the AP coursework that she took in her freshman and sophomore year made her confident enough to continue on the path to taking advanced placement classes. Now, this is a kid who the system A would have been stacked against them. They probably wouldn't have taken an AP class at all. And including the parents who hadn't fully believed that their child could be successful in that type of environment. That's the kind of thing. And that's a success story. There's no, I'm not criticizing that thinking. That's, that's, I think more normal than not is to be afraid of some of these opportunities. And I'm here to say with the right environment, the right supports, and in this case, the right teachers, the teachers are the ones that got these kids across the finish line. And that's in a school where every single kid in the freshman year and sophomore year takes an AP class by design at that school. 
So it's kind of unique, but we have our pathway design and our pathways are offered at all three of our high schools. So we're not magnet schools. We're not schools that offer some pathways at one school and some pathways at another. And it attracts kids to go to one of our high schools. Every single one of our high schools offers the same course catalog to all kids. What we do have going on, though, that's unique in some of our schools is where like at our Odessa High School, at that campus, all kids take human ge- AP Human Geography as their freshman course. It's easier to do that when you open schools. So there isn't a precedent with ninth graders and there isn't a precedent with teachers. Then we can scale that across the system when we find success and we learn how to do it in an environment that's brand new and we can start fresh. So because we're a district with 13,000 kids, but we're also a growing district and we open a school every year, we don't open a high school every year. Don't get me wrong. We open schools. We have opened schools in recent years, a school every year. This year we opened middle school. Next year we're open an elementary school. Last year or two years ago, we opened a, a high school. And so when we opened that school, we were able to do- design some things. In that school, kids take um, uh, AP Human Geography, and then they take AP Government and Politics and their Social Studies sophomore year. In their junior year, we challenge them to pick an AP class based on their experiences. And, and it wasn't mandatory, although it was freshman and sophomore. 270 of the 300 kids, so only 30, didn't choose to take an AP class. And that's on their own choice. So that's the part about self-efficacy in schools. If we don't get these kids, these experiences early on, if we don't actually, if we don't study self-efficacy, like Bandora's work on self-efficacy and how we can build that in our students and our teachers, then we, we don't know the type of things that we need to create as experiences for them to feel successful. And so we're looking at things like that. And again, if you take it your freshman year and your sophomore year, turns out the vast majority of them will choose to take it their junior year. And I would, I would, I haven't studied this, but I bet of those 30 kids who didn't choose, there's a very specific reason. And one of them just could be a, 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 a some choices that they've made about other courses that just didn't fit in that environment. And in others, a lot of times you won't see on a schedule in an American high school an inclusion class that's also an AP class. So there's plenty of reasons for that. But in a lot of schedules, if you have an IEP, you go into an inclusion class because your IEP will call for additional adult support. And the AP class doesn't get built with additional adult support. So we don't do things that way. We look at Um, we look at our ability to put students with IEPs into an an inclusion environment that's also an AP environment. Um, Again, at Odessa High School, where we built that from scratch, lots of success stories uh, about students with IEPs um, finding their way through advanced placement coursework very successfully, some cases with that additional adult support Uh, that they need in that class and other cases where their schedule is unique enough that that's not a class where they need it. That's the other part about that is when students call for their IEP calls for additional adult support, we typically schedule them. We, meaning educational environment, will put them into um, all courses with additional adult support. 
we don't do that. We look at the IEP in terms of where they need additional adult support. And in some of their courses, they may not. And those are the courses where they might be able to fit an advanced placement in. Um, it's just really getting granular with the student experience and making sure every kid has a pathway that makes sense for them. Such interesting stuff. I'm sitting here like, hmm, maybe I, we need to move to Odessa. <laughs> I have a, a 12-year-old with autism. So this is really interesting stuff. Um, so you did you have highlighted that this program was not built overnight. And so I think what we're really curious about is as the program has evolved, what has it taken to build that staff buy-in and to prepare teachers to successfully implement um, something as innovative as this? So there's leadership lessons from a shirtless dancing guy. If you're listening to this right now, you should Google leadership lessons from a shirtless dancing guy. Do not Google shirtless dancing guy. Do not tell anyone that I said to Google anything that's <laughs> even related to shirtless dancing. But the leadership lessons is Derek Sivers, and he's doing a voiceover of what he called lessons, uh, leadership lessons from a shirtless dancing guy. And the point was there was a lone person on the hill dancing like a maniac and was ridiculed publicly for a long time before the second dancer went on to the hill and the third dancer went on to the hill and the fourth. And then after that, it was an avalanche and all of people at this crazy concert were dancing on the hill. And the point is that you need to have some crazy people who are willing to see things differently in the beginning and that um, we need to try something new. Uh, I follow the work of Seth Godin. He always says that the leader is the person who's willing to try something that might not work. And the good news is we have lots of stuff right now that we know doesn't work. And yet we continue to do it and expect different results. And so what we did in the beginning was we studied hard and we were very intentional. We, I'm not talking about doing things willy-nilly or haphazardly. I'm talking about intentionally, intentionally changing things. And it's hard because the definition of leadership is influence. The challenge of leadership is conflict. And the result of leadership is change. And the bigger the change, the more conflict you're going to have. And we went through that. We went through it with teachers. We went through it with parents. We went through it with ourselves and wondering whether or not some of the things we embarked on were the right things to do. But we always had in mind what's best for our kids what needs to change so that all kids can be successful in school? Um, and with that core value, we began to make tweaks to the things that we were offering kids in high school. And again, it didn't happen overnight. We went from offering English 9, 10, 11, 12 to offering a more, more variety of English, English 1, English 2, English 3, but we also offer AP Lang and AP Lit and seminar and research and Gothic literature and medieval literature and um, a bunch of different classes that kids can choose from that they might be more interested in or that will definitely look better on the transcript than what um, the average high school offers. I think we've been indoctrinated to want a culture of why and training everybody why. And I think that's true. I don't want to dismiss that. People need to know the purpose behind um, what we're doing and the reasons why it's so important to make these shifts. But I also think we need a cultural try. 
And it's a culture of, you know what, I'm willing to give that a shot, even if it's not going to fully work the first time, because I know for certain that what we're getting right now in terms of our outcomes aren't where we want to be. So we got to try something different. Yeah, I'm really hearing sort of just at the core of this, some values around being bold and and steadfast, which I think folks can really appreciate, um, especially when we're talking about something as messy and complex as educating our kiddos. Um, And so I think that that's a really great place to start of of advice that you would give others out there. What other advice would you give to other school or district leaders who are interested in setting up an inclusive pathways program? So I want, this is one where I'd say, okay, let's really talk about what it means to be a pathway. One thing that we didn't do was build our pathways like vocational programming. Um, Vocational programming is good for a number of, you know, for any number of students who choose to go into a vocation and they know for a hundred percent sure that that's what they want to be, or at least they're maybe closer to 90%. Our pathways are not built, um, like a college major, I would say. And that's a misnomer about pathways. All of our students select the pathway. So it's not some, that's a place to start too for any leader who's listening is to say, we're going to move transitioning to where all of our kids are in a pathway. Lots of pathway programs where they've shifted to pathways. Not every kid gets to be in one. I think that's a mistake. Um, And so when we say pathways, what we're talking about is four very unique courses that are related to the economy, to a college, to a job. And we even list the type of jobs that you might um, you might take on or experience um, while in school or after school or after college. We try to build in certification programs so that kids have skills right when they're done. Um, with us and can go into the workforce. But the point is that our pathways are also what you would see in a liberal arts college. We have four unique pathways, but we also have five plus um, electives that kids have to take. And those are meant for them to have some breadth in their learning and to dabble in some things and to learn about some things that they might not know about. And so, again, the point is all kids, but it's back to what are they interested in learning more about and how can you give them a bunch of experiences within that pathway to experience things that they might not have otherwise wanted wanted to learn about. And I think that builds for a unique transcript. Um, And that's what we've heard from colleges and universities that our transcript is unique. Um, And the one last thing I'll say about it is we got to figure out how to push on credits in, in high school. We have 32 credit offerings in high school. We beat down the door to get three credit offerings in our middle school. So you can literally come into high school with three credits. That means we're now at 35. The question for my team on a day-to-day basis is how can you make it 36, 37, 38 through asynchronous learning, after-school learning, dual enrollment credits, because um, the state of Delaware requires you to have 24 credits on your transcript. Our kids, our kids are graduating with at least 28. Some of them are graduating with upward towards 40 if they do it right. And many of those 40 are also college credits. So in our teacher academy, you can earn up to 46 college credits in high school in that particular pathway. 
So there's a lot of nuance to it over time as we've learned and studied and, and built and rebuilt. Um, but my advice would be all kids get, build them so that all kids take a pathway and then enumerate the types of you, things you want all kids to get out of every pathway. Thank you so much, TJ. I think your powerful insights and your passion really come through loud and clear. And I hope that um, our listeners take away some of your valuable in, valuable insights. Um, so just cannot thank you enough for joining us today. So happy to be here. Thank you. Great questions. And uh, anybody listening, if you're interested in Pathways, reach out. If you want to learn more about Pathways, what we've tried to do in design, reach out. If you have Pathways and you're um, and you're interested in sharing, we want to know more. We want to learn more. We want to find out how to make ours more successful. And we need to build a network of leaders around the country who are interested in changing the middle and high school experience so that kids graduate more college and career ready. So I'm, I'm all ears. A call to action. We love that. Um, okay. Where can people go to learn more? Sure. You can go to appocr.com. So it's appocr.com. And you can get pretty much any of our resources there, our course catalog, our advanced standing courses, the way we think about work-based learning, um, all of our college resources. All of that information is at appocr.com. We're more than happy to share. People can reach out to me at thomas.very at appo.k12.de.us. You can put that right in the show notes. You can find me on Twitter at tjvery. Um, and I'm happy to connect with anybody who wants to have a conversation about these things. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, opening yourself up to be a resource. And- uh, yeah. No, listen, we need to be taught. I need, we need to learn more. We need to talk mm, about these yes. things and we need yes. to learn more. We're not perfect. We don't have this. We don't have this all figured out. So for sure. Right. But there's a lot of, a lot of learning to be shared and what it takes to figure it out. So Really appreciate it. Alrighty, so that is all for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Schools Spotlight Series. This podcast is brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. For more resources and practical approaches that educators can use to enhance opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities, check out the Educating All Learners Alliance resource library by visiting educatingalllearners.org and clicking the resources tab. To learn more about the work of the Center for Learner Equity, check out centerforlearnerequity.org. Thanks and tune in to the other episodes in the series.